thank you for joining us for today's episode of Made on Purpose. Do you or someone you know struggle with addiction? What about the same once an addict, always an addict? Is that really true? Is there hope for recovery? Join me as I speak with Mel Sigelko of Rising Above Ministries in Grand Prairie, Alberta, where we'll answer these questions and more. And here we go. Here we go. <laughs> well, we are here today talking to Mel Sigelkow. Sigelko. Sigelko. Okay, I've, I've been setting, saying it wrong forever, That's actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with Rising Above Ministries in Grand Prairie. Um, so, Mel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, were you born and raised in Grand Prairie? No, um, from Saskatchewan. Okay. And I was kind of raised in Saskatchewan and um, ended up... Um, moving in a direction of pastoral ministry in Saskatchewan. My wife and I pastored in Saskatoon for 10 years and in Winnipeg, and then we came up to Grand Prairie in 2002 okay. to pastor a church here, and we've stayed here ever since. Right, yes. Okay, so you started out um, in pastoral ministry, yes. and you're not pastoring anymore no. in the traditional sense. Correct, yes. Right, okay. It's still a, rising above as a ministry, so yes, but you're right, it's not in a traditional sense. Right. Pastoral, so, so and yeah, so five years into our pastoral ministry here, we were using a rental facility, which was the Grand Prairie Inn, now Pomeroy Inn, and it was a great facility. But our people were going, we need a more, we need a building, we need to be able to offer more programs during the week, and we need the space. And um, being a young congregation, we didn't have a lot of financial resources, so we had to be a little bit creative. Mm -hmm. And right downtown, basically in the corner of 100th Street and 100th Ave, there was a 30-foot storefront building for sale that we just happened to be looking at and we thought you know we can make this work for the church and it just happened to be the second floor of that was um set up almost like a dorm it had bedrooms on either end a large kitchen meeting area in the middle mm -hmm. and then it had a couple washrooms and a one room that had three sinks and three showers in it so it was a kind of a unique facility up there and we were going at some point in time we would love to use that to help homeless people get off the street we were thinking 10, 15 years down the road when we could handle the mortgage and stuff. But at that same time, there was an ad in the paper by the city of Grand Prairie. They were looking for creative ideas to help people get off the street. Okay. So we sent them a proposal and saying, this is what we would do with this facility. And they came and partnered with us and funded us to do that. So what we thought was going to be way down the road turned out to be immediately when we got possession of the building, we opened the doors to what is now known as Rising Above. Wow. That's quite a story. It's, um, it is a, yeah. I totally see it as a God story. Yeah. We saw that building and the opportunity, the timing of it all. Mm -hmm. It wasn't our doing. Right. Yeah. And like you said, this is, oh, maybe 15 years down the road when we get all our money in order and... I guess that, and here we are now, 15 years later. Right. I never thought of that till just now. Yeah. This, is, this is the time that we would think we could do that. and Oh, for goodness sake. We've uh, seen hundreds and thousands, over a thousand people come through our doors mm. in those 15 years. So Wow. So, Mel, tell me, what was there something specific that motivated you to um, help the homeless, to help those struggling with addictions? Like, was there something personal there, or, or was it just something God put on your heart? It would be something that God put on my heart, and, and, and also personally, even though not directly related to addictions, but we use in our program, and we'll talk about this more, Pamela, but uh, inner healing is the phrase that we use. I've gone through some inner healing myself back when we lived in Winnipeg, 
and um, profound healing. And, and I began to apply the principles and use it in my pastoral ministry. And over a period of time, I'd been using it with some people who were struggling, addictions and other cycles of defeat, as we call it now. And I seen God do miraculous things and helping them break free. And so when we had this opportunity, um, we knew that we could bring in homeless people, which of course are addicts, and, um, and have the tools to really be able to help them come free from, from their addiction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it wasn't just a housing piece. We knew that if these people were safely housed, that we can help them with the inner healing to deal with the underlying issue. Right. And that's kind of what got it going. And so it was a bit of a, my personal journey through inner healing, plus having the tools and seeing that mm-hmm. change, people's lives changed and transformed through right. it. So, Okay, yeah. I've, I've often wondered that when I see people like yourself doing a certain endeavors, like what, what was it that made you choose that, right? Like, yeah. So a lot of the people who are in kind of this role um, come out of an addictions background, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's a great story. Mine is almost the opposite. I come out of a very conservative Christian environment, um, very sheltered and protected, where I wasn't around alcohol or drug use or even cigarette smoking all my growing up years and until mm-hmm. I moved away from home and into my adult years, I was I even exposed to it. So right. it was very uncomfortable in, in a large sense. Um, when I first years ago got exposed to some people who were alcoholics and that, that was um, a whole foreign territory for me. So, right. so I don't come out of that background, but God has given me some tools and abilities to come alongside of those people. And uh, I've got many, many friends in the right. recovery world now. And yet. It's been really cool. That reminds me, my my grandmother used to say, um, you know the scripture in, in Timothy where it says, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. Yeah. And this whole idea we have sometimes, like, I haven't gone through that, so who am I to say anything? How can I help? Yeah. Um, but I remember my grandma saying to you, to, to me, sorry, um, well, you have the Holy Spirit yeah. in you, and he knows all things. And uh, so it's not necessarily about what was my personal experience. It's trusting the Holy Spirit in you to give you the wisdom and the insight that you need when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so even with that, for people who maybe come more from my background but are now Mm -hmm. working alongside of people in addictions or have family members in addictions, God can use them. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to have that lived experience or been exposed to it for God to use us to help support and encourage those that are coming through it. You're not disqualified exactly. for lack of experience. For lack of experience <laughs> and those things, yeah. yeah. Nor are you, maybe some people come through that and yeah. go, well, God can't use me because I made a mess of my life. Right. God can and will right. use the mess of your life for redemptive purposes. Yes, all things. So both sides, mm-hmm. both sides work there. That's actually interesting you bring that up because uh, it's just, I see it so typical of the enemy, no matter where you stand in life, to say, oh, you don't qualify because of, or, or you're not enough for this because of. Because you're too messed up or you have been haven't been exposed to, yeah. Exactly. going to try to shut us down. Yeah, yeah. To say, no, the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us no matter what our story is. Right, yeah, yeah. So I have a few questions for you, and I'm really curious to see um, how you respond and and uh, yeah, <laughs> and I and I think too some of our listeners will probably think about these things as well. So I'm wondering what, in your opinion, would maybe be the number one misconception that people have about addiction. From this probably goes back a few years. I think it's changing, but 
the misconception about people in addiction is that they are lazy or just don't care or, you know, why don't they just smarten up? Why don't they just grow up? Why don't they just get a job? Why don't they just get over it? What's wrong with them? Mm -hmm. Lack of discipline. All of those kind of thoughts that we have are very harsh and judgmental thoughts and um, are not true. Right. People in addictions. People in addictions are there because they've got trapped in this place of whatever their drug of choice is, which could even be not even a drug. It could be gambling. It could be pornography. It could be sex. It could be work. Mm -hmm. um, that they run to that when they start to feel unresolved emotional pain, and that has become their escape or their way of coping. And then in the brain, it actually pulls on our survival needs in the brain. So our brain says, we need that for survival. And so then, yeah, they'll lose their jobs, they'll lose their family, they'll lose that, because the brain is saying, you don't need a job, but you need this to survive, whatever their drug of choice now is. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, the misconception is that, why don't they just quit? Right. Stop it. Smarten up. Right. And it doesn't work that way. No, because something isn't is is broken in the in the way that their the their function sees whatever that substance or activity is that becomes their addiction, mm. and they can't just stop it. And so they love their family, or and they don't want to lose that, but they do. Right. And they go back to their addiction because the brain says that you need that to survive. Right. And it's very sad to see it happen over and over and over again. Or even now with the fentanyl, and it's, they lose their own lives. Yeah. Because they go back to their addiction and end up in an overdose situation so easily now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so sad. Eh? It is very sad. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty harsh world out there if there's those that, are, those that have the addiction where there's a substance involved. And it's unforgiving. This people yeah. can, we just hear about it all the time people dying of an overdose, and it's no matter what walk of life you're from. Well, yeah, and that's what I was just thinking too. It, it's not just the homeless people. Like you can be walking through the store, or even you know going to church, and may not realize that the person beside you is is struggling. That is a functioning addict that could yeah. be successful in the in a business and um, be using and die of an overdose. Just like those that are on the street, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. And so what makes the Rising Above program different than other traditional programs, you know, like AA or other things? Yeah. So a lot of the traditional programs um, focus on the addiction itself as, as the problem, mm. where, as I've already alluded to, the addiction itself is not the problem. The addiction itself is people's way of coping with unresolved mm -hmm. emotional pain, past trauma, abuse, neglect, abandonment, whatever it might be. There's something that they're carrying about, they're still carrying from that that they haven't worked through, and the addiction is just their escape. Mm -hmm. So our approach is, and once people come into our program, we talk very little about the different substances, and, and because that's not the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue is what's going on underneath there with the unresolved emotional pain. So our inner healing model is our, um, is our foundation for our treatment program. Okay. So let's get down and help you deal with the unresolved emotional pain. Let's deal with that past trauma, mm -hmm. those places of abuse or neglect or um, being bullied as, as a child or whatever the story might be. Mm -hmm. let's, let's work through that. And once you resolve that, you won't need an escape anymore. Right. And then, and then the programs that you alluded to, AA and the 12-step programs, and then they, that's where they become very valuable because you won't need an escape, but your brain is still looking for 
that stuff. It's still connected to that stuff. And so then to work the program, to work the 12 steps or another model if you choose, because there's other ones as well. Um, but you need to have a program then to, to help you stay away. And so. Right. It's like retraining the brain, right? Like rewiring my response in this situation used to be, but now I have to start trying something else. So even when people would say received inner healing, and I think of one story when we were downtown and and downtown is, you get exposed to a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Fella had full intentions. He had money in his pocket. He was on his way to the grocery store to buy groceries and he was doing well. And on his way to the grocery store, he just kind of crossed paths face to face with his former drug dealer. And he said, without even realizing what was going on, he took out his money, handed it to the dealer, took the drugs, and kind of came back and said, well, how did that just happen? What just went on there that I just did that? Mm. And that's the power of the addiction. It's right. even though he was working through those other issues, there's still that connection that says, okay, that's what I need, even though he didn't, and he didn't even want it. And he was so frustrated with himself that he emptied his wallet to his drug dealer without even really realizing or knowing or processing what was going on. Right. So then I guess that brings me to the question of, of relapse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a person is walking through recovery, they've done inner healing, and now they're walking through those steps of let's, let's well, renew the mind, to use a Christian term, or let's mm-hmm. start to, uh, you know, rebuild habits and responses. And um, relapse is normal? There's a phrase that at first I resisted. Okay. But it's, and the phrase is simply relapse is part of recovery. Okay. So, um, so in our, in our program here, we are an abstinence-based program. If somebody uses, drinks or uses wealth in the program, they are immediately evicted. And then they can reapply again in a month and come back. And oftentimes people do that. If you were to come into any, any one of our classroom settings with her, you'll, you'll see probably a good 20 to 30% of them are here for their second or third time mm-hmm. because of relapse. But even once people work through the program and they graduate, you know, the first time we had somebody relapse, we just thought, oh, we failed. We blew right. We let them down. Somehow we didn't help them through what they needed to be through. And then the, the more we saw that pattern, we're going, relapse may not be such a bad thing. And so now when we hear people talk about relapse, we want to know what did it take from you? Um, how long was it before you got your feet back on the ground again? Mm-hmm. And so if somebody, and it happens fairly often, will somebody will come to us and say, yeah, I had a bad weekend and I relapsed, but I'm back on track already. And it was just one or two days and we're going, that's awesome. Yeah. Instead of beating them up, saying, well, why did you do that? We're going, hey, you knew what to do to get yourself back on track again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so relapse is, in a sense, part of recovery. And if you're dealing with a loved one, and they promise you I'll never use again, kind of nod your head and agree with them, but in the inside going, you might. Right. And we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. Right. And again, measure it out to see, is it, is it, is, was it a slip relapse where they just, for whatever reason, they went out and drank or used once? Yeah. And go, yeah, why did I do that and step away? Or does it pull them back into a, a longer cycle? Mm-hmm. But the old full intention will promise I'll never use again, but it's, Mm -hmm. take that with a bit of a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, if we understand the process, um, we can, people who have loved ones struggling can maybe protect their heart a little bit too and say, okay, all hope is not gone. 
it's, you know, we have to walk this out. And oftentimes when we're working with people who say a marriage where one of them is in, and has been in addictions and, um, you know, in the, now they're in recovery and they might look at them and say, if you ever, I'm out of here. Right. And there has to be some kind of guidelines there that, yeah, we can't let this habit go on and on and on. But if you make that ultimatum that said, if you ever drink or use again, I'm out of here. It almost forces the person who was the addict into a more secrecy if they do have a relapse. I can't tell my spouse because they said. Mm. And so to have more of an open dialogue mm-hmm. and say, if you go back into a pattern of using, it's going to be a difficult road and I may not stick around. Right. That opens the door for at least some, some dialogue and ongoing reconnection and relationship there then. Right. Because I imagine with addictions, there's a, um, a lot of hiding. That would be a natural thing to do, just out of personal shame, right? Yep, and it's how they survived in the reactive yeah. addiction. And so it's easy to fall back into that pattern again. If they fear that if somebody knows that I just had this slip, then I might lose my job or my marriage or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. It just puts them right back in that cycle of secrecy, which then feeds the shame, which then feeds the addiction. Right. Shame Shame is like an endless spiral. <laughs> it is. Well, shame is a the root of so many addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I once had someone say to me, once an addict, always an addict. What are your thoughts on that? That's a common common phrase. Yeah. And you'll hear it from the addicts. Okay. You'll hear it from them as much as anything. And it's somewhat um, perpetuated through the 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. You go to any meeting, um, you can go sit in on them and, and you might hear um, someone say, you know, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. He might have 20, 30 plus years sobriety, yeah. but he will still connect himself as an addict or an alcoholic. And so the, the purpose of that is you, you don't want to forget where you've come from because you could set yourself up for failure. And so they, they, they keep that, mm. that figure that once an addict, always an addict, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. But the other side of the coin is no. There's hope and there's healing mm-hmm. for that. And um, and your identity is not in what you did in the past, like you used or you drank and to an excess and it destroyed your life. That might be true, but your identity isn't, I'm always an addict. Mm-hmm. Your identity, especially in, with relationship with God, is you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Right. You are a, you are a child of God. And that gives you an identity that should cause you to lift your chin up. And, mm-hmm. and so the... The difference is to recognizing I've come out of addiction and I'm not going back. And I've got to keep that before me and recognize that, yeah, that's always going to be a, a stum- potential stumbling block for me. But that's not who I am. Right. Separating the addiction from your identity. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've always struggled with that phrase, my name is so-and-so and I'm an addict of this or whichever, you know, and I'm... I have to wonder sometimes, so as as a believer, as a Christian, I believe either God can heal and deliver or he can't. And I believe he can heal and deliver. So that that phrase was always like diametrically opposed to my inner conviction on that. And um, and I have seen people set free from addiction, you know, and lives healed. And I'm like, so... There's a missing piece somewhere for a lot of people that are trying to get free from addiction. If, when they say that, and I think it's all in our own heads when, mm-hmm. when they acknowledge that, I'm, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic or an addict, if what they're saying carries that same stigma for themselves, it means I'm less than everybody else, yeah. 
then they're destroying themselves on an ongoing basis. Yeah. But for a lot of them, they can actually say that I'm an addict with without expanding on it, but it but it doesn't define the rest of them. It doesn't make them less than or it doesn't mm-hmm. they can say that, yeah, I'm an addict and I'm a child of God and yeah. free. And, but this is part of my story. And so Yeah. Which which is quite powerful. To come at it from that stance, from that stance, you actually have hope to offer the next person, right? Yep. And for them to say, I'm an addict, gives them permission to speak into other addicts' lives. And so mm-hmm. it's all in what, what are they implying when they say that phrase? Mm-hmm. It's an addict, always an addict. If it has any kind of, I'm less than derogatory, I'm broken. Eh. Yeah. No, that doesn't, once they're in recovery and moving forward, that's not true. Right. Yeah, so good. So good, and I love that because arising above your, um, what's your motto? It has hope in it. Um, our our motto is, and we we are committed to help people break cycles of defeat. Cycles, of defeat. but our word, yeah, our key word is 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 hope. Right. There's always always hope. Yeah, yeah. So we use that word. Uh, I, every time we get to share about rising above, mm-hmm. the word hope mm-hmm. comes into it, and that's what we see our ministry as: is we can bring hope. For those that have lost hope because yeah. of their addiction, and yeah. it can be God's agents of bringing them back, restoring hope once again. Right. So, Mel, what would you say to uh, parents or loved ones of someone who's struggling with addiction? What What might be uh, maybe your top advice or encouragement for them? I have a uh, many opportunities to sit with people that are struggling because parents who have an adult child, and a son or daughter in addictions, and how do they help and Number one, don't give up hope. Mm-hmm. And number two, be careful that you're not enabling them, which mm-hmm. keeps them in that cycle, which helps them stay in that mode. And so the idea is to be willing to take the risk of the relationship and to say, we can't help you. We're not going to pay your bills mm-hmm. if you're choosing to stay in that cycle or stay in that lifestyle. We're not going to bill you it any longer. And then hang on to hope and pray and expect that things will get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. But as you see things unravel, trust that God is at work in that unraveling. Mm-hmm. As things get worse, trust that God is at work. And that's and then and that's when the hope will come. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard place to be, to mm-hmm. be caring for a loved one, whether it's a child or even a sibling or a parent. We have lots of adult kids, children, adults that come in that are concerned for their parents. Right. For in active addiction and uh, watching their lives be destroyed. And as um, as long as they're choosing to stay in that, there's nothing that you can do to pull them out except prayer. And that's, and I'm not minimizing prayer, that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can do, Yeah, is to pray and to trust that God is at work even when it looks dark and dismal. Right. And like you were saying, to to not enable, like if you're, you know, providing finance or, or whatever, you know, there's different ways that we enable people that are struggling. Um, but I think we're afraid to let people hit rock bottom. But I, I've, I recently just read a statement by somebody and they had said, um, rock bottom is, is like God's grace. That's when you hit rock bottom, you got no place to go but up. And this yeah. is where God's grace comes in, and that's when they're reaching out. And um, I love Luke 15. Jesus tells three parables, that the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And I'll mm. try to make this this quick. Yeah. So the the, the lost sheep, you know, the, there's a hundred of them in the fold. 
one wanders off, the shepherd leaves the 99th and goes off and the, you know, the picture we always have is it's raining and it's windy and it's stormy, but he's out there trudging through everything until he finds his lost sheep. And the woman with the lost coin, 10 coins, she's counting them. We get the idea that it's already nighttime and she's settling in for bed and she's counting her coins and she's missing one. She gets up, lights her lamp and searches her house until she finds that. Jesus changes when he, when he tells this parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. We have this picture of the, the father mm-hmm. who knows his son has just squandered his inheritance and is just blowing all the money and is now living with the pigs that he's responsible to feed. He's eating the same food and living with them. The father is at home, mm-hmm. waiting. He's not, and if we get the picture that this was probably a fairly affluent farm, he could have gone off and paid the rent and fed his son and put him up into a, but he didn't. He waited, and the scriptures use this phrase, referring to the son. Says when he came to his senses, that's rock bottom. Yeah. When he hit the rock bottom, he came to his senses and goes, "What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. I could be at home and be a servant to my father and be better off." And that was his intention. And that's when the father sees him coming down the path, and that's when the father steps in and says, "Now, with open arms, he welcomes his son home." Wow. But he, he had to sit and wait knowing his son was in this place of humility and embarrassment and living with the pigs. He waited and waited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never actually looked at it that way before. That's that's it, pretty profound. It is, and there's some, you know, when we think of the, the lost sheep, they get lost on out of just not paying attention or ignorance. There's a lot of people like that, and we need to go find them. The lost coin, my thing with the lost coin is a coin can't get lost by itself. Right. A coin is just going to sit there until somebody's fingerprints are on it. Mm-hmm. And that's most of our stories of addiction. They all have somebody's fingerprints on them. Mm-hmm. There's abuse or neglect or abandonment there. And so when they come to that place and hit rock bottom and they come to their senses, then they then I then I say now they're now we got to ch- change the story here. Now they're the lost coin. Now it's a, now we come out to them and that's what the father did now. Mm-hmm braces his son and brings him in and says, yeah, the fatted calf and the ring on your finger. Yeah, you're my son. Yeah. And so when they come to their senses, then we fully embrace and engage with them while they're making those choices that are they make of their own free will to say, I don't want anything to do with you. It's what he told his father. Mm -hmm. We can't, we just got to let him go. And for a mom especially, but dads Mm -hmm. too, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. It's not easy being on that side of the fence. (laughs) <laughs> no. It's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. And the, the other side of it is, and some parents can't draw that line that they will always try to help, which is enabling their son or daughter to stay in addictions because they carry a lot of guilt. Right. If I would have been a better parent, if her mm-hmm. father say over and over again, if I would have been home more and mom say, if, you know, it's my fault they're an addict because I wasn't nurturing enough for them. Right. The parents you have to do with your own guilt when you see your adult children mm-hmm. there and let that go so that you can be the parent they need now, which is not enabling, but trusting God to do what only God can do. Right. And bring them to that place of rock bottom. Right. And perhaps maybe the parents might need counseling as well to deal with some of the hurt in their life that causes them to react in ways that aren't beneficial. I'm glad you brought that up because that's yeah. exactly the way God works. Yeah. Um, yes, son or daughter might be out as adults in addiction and 
And that just brings up the pain that mom and dad haven't dealt with. And God is saying, Jesus is inviting them. Yeah. It's time, time for healing for you too. So that when your son or daughter comes back, you can have a relationship that's better on both sides. Yeah. And that we see that in marriages all the time. If a spouse falls into an addiction or had a secret addiction and when they got married and it comes out and um, we uh, spend as much time working with the spouse as the, as the addict mm-hmm. because it's stirring up unresolved stuff for them too. And so it's a very redemptive thing that God yeah. does in this. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. The restoration. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so there might be, um, you know, one might feel like they're the victim because they just, you know, their partners went off and spent all their life savings on on drugs or alcohol. But God says to that victim, I want healing for you too. Yeah. As well as the perpetrator, the one that's caused the problems. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. There's so much I could say. Um, And so then we just, you know, touched on or discussed talking to the parents and the loved ones of of the person who's struggling. What about, you know, if we have uh, listeners who are maybe hiding an addiction, they're struggling, um, maybe they haven't hit rock bottom, but even just hearing this, they're starting to think, maybe things could be different for me. What what would you say to them? I would, first of all, I would just affirm what you just said. Things can be different. Mm-hmm. There is hope. And it's okay to tell your story. One of the things I say about addictions is there's always a story. Right. Underneath every addiction, there's a story. And sometimes the addict doesn't even, isn't even fully aware of, of the impact of their own story until they start unpacking it. Mm-hmm. And so be willing to share your story with somebody who can help you through it. And the shame is going to kick in. And I think that's what you're alluding to. They're, they're wanting to keep this hiding. Right. They don't want to deal with it. And um, the key way to break shame is to start by speaking it out. And shame thrives in secrecy and loses its power when we tell the story. Mm -hmm. So find somebody that you trust and say, this is where I've been. This is what I'm doing. I need help. Yeah. And God will meet you in that place and the journey will begin. It'll be a journey. Yeah. And there'll be some pretty hard stuff in that journey. Yeah. But that's the starting point. Yeah. And I like how you you said, uh, find someone you can trust. Because you need to, you need to expose it to the light, bring the darkness into the light, and you know what? It's, it's not as scary then That's right. when you can see it for what it is. But um, I think quite often people now I'm not experienced in this, but people who are walking in addiction oftentimes they maybe don't have solid people uh, that would be a good idea to bring their situation to. Yeah, and so I think you were. You probably know who's ready for your story. And so, yeah. I mean, go to your pastor if you're connected to a church. And even if you're not connected to a church, but you think that would be a good place to go, knock on the door and ask to speak to the pastor. That would be a great place. Mm-hmm. Or go to a, we talked about a bit about AANA, go to a meeting. So that would be Alcoholics Anonymous if, if alcohol is, is your drug of choice or Narcotics Anonymous if it's a substance. And just walk into a meeting and don't be afraid to say, yeah, I'm here for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they'll invite you up and give you a white tag, which is means surrender, okay. which is day one of your of your starting point, and it's a very reaffirming thing. Mm-hmm. And and you'll be in a room there with people who are going to go, they're going to be proud of you for taking that step. Mm-hmm. Or you can come to an organization like Rising Above and say, I think I need to talk to somebody. I might need some help. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of people, and you might have people in your own life that you can go. I could go talk to my friend at work or my sister or whoever, and they'll understand. Yeah, talk to somebody. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get it, get it out of that hidden place in you. And um, you mentioned the story of the prodigal and the lost coin and the lost sheep. Do you do you have a specific quote or a specific scripture that um, even maybe not of all time, but maybe that's standing out to you right now? Something the Lord has highlighted for you. Probably the the quote that we that we use that's I guess our own in house quote is that there's always a story. Right. And I've already said that one. That's kind of one of our, our standbys here. Every time we see somebody struggling in it, and every time we drive downtown in those areas and you see the homeless people out there and they're making a mess, mm-hmm. um, if you look at it from the perspective, there's always a story. It'll change yeah. how we see their behaviors and activities and begin to feel God's compassion for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but my own verse for me is Ephesians 2 verse 10. that says, we are God's workmanship. Yeah created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. And that's kind of been my life verse to know that I'm not sure by accident. Yeah. God has a plan mm-hmm. and um, he has gifted every one of us with certain abilities and certain gifts to do something that he's already prepared in advance for us. Right. And when we find that, that's when we feel a deep sense of peace and fulfillment. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you're walking in the purpose that he's created for you. Exactly. There's, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. Absolutely, no matter what that is. And yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Um, so uh, if people want to get in touch with Rising Above your website or... So we're in, uh, I know this is going to be posted, so this can't yeah. go anywhere, but yeah, Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada is yeah. where we are geographically located, but Rising Above GP, which would be... Grand Prairie. So risingabovegp.com is our website. Okay. On there, you can find information about our ministry, um, application forms for those that want to Mm -hmm. um, process and come in and be part of the residential program, or information about inner healing, if that's all you want. Yeah, so everything you can find. All on the website. And then you've got ways to contact us and even ways to donate if you want to support the ministry. Yeah. And then I'm... For the, if there's anybody that might be hearing this in the Fort St. John area, we will be beginning a program there shortly. Wonderful. Sometime within the next year, we hope we hope to have our doors open in Fort St. John, British Columbia. So, wow, yes, that's that's such a, an amazing thing. Just watching it expand now, yeah, and watching mm-hmm. it grow. Yeah. And that BC Peace area, and there's nothing for addiction treatment. Not mm-hmm. just, I mean, we're faith based, but not even faith. There's nothing. Period. Right up there, and so the community is in desperate need of mm-hmm. having a treatment facility within for that Dawson Creek, Port St. John and surrounding area. Yeah. Well, Mel, I'm so happy and grateful that you've been willing to take the time and talk and share your heart and what you guys are doing here. And uh, it, it really means a lot. And I'm so excited to see what God's done, but also what he's going to do. Like if the, you had 15 years, and then you ended up here and then you have another 15 years and now you're moving out to Fort St. John and I mean it's it's just growing lives are being touched and it is growing and it's growing because of the support of people in the community mm-hmm. absolutely and so opportunities like this Pamela are great so thank you oh it's my pleasure seriously it's my pleasure um Mel would you would you pray mm-hmm. for our listeners maybe some are struggling with addiction or maybe you know I don't think there's many people that haven't been touched by addiction. Oh. Um, so the loved ones of those as well, whatever whatever you feel, can you just uh, pray and we'll close that off with that. Great, thanks. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for these moments that Pamela and I can spend together talking about this. And Lord, we don't know who's going to be hearing this or listening to this, but I think of those that might have been harshly judging the addict or those chronic homeless people they see on the street. And Lord, that we would soften our hearts as believers to come alongside of them with compassion and understanding and care, knowing that there's always a story. I think of those that might be listening that are battling an addiction and whatever that addiction might be, and they feel like they've lost complete hope and there's nothing they can do. Lord, would you just speak hope into their life even right now and help them to take that first step and to come out of that and to talk to somebody and let the prodigal find their way back back home, whatever that home would look like, whether it's going into a church or into a treatment program, but that they would find that sense of hope and security. I think of the of those that have loved ones in addiction and they're watching these lives spiral down downward so quickly and out of control. And with the with the number of overdose as the, that are so prevalent in, in our province, and they're fearful. God, would you give strength to the loved ones as they watch their loved ones suffer, that they can wait and pray and that they would come to that place where they'll come to their senses and find hope and then there could be this restoration again. So God instill within us that desire to help people around us, but to do it wisely according to your plan and your will. Help us to be sensitive to you. And thank you for Pamela and her business as they as they want to do this kind of thing and get word out and just pray your blessing on them at this time. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like to support Rising Above Ministries in Grand Prairie, you can visit their website at risingabovegp.com. You can also find out more details about the work that they do and all of their contact information as well. So if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, there's wonderful support here in this ministry. We just love Rising Above. We're so thankful for Mel and the team and for the work that they're doing in the community. Go check them out, risingabovegp.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.